0: Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Tuesday, January 16th. Today, we're exploring the fusion of Western science with traditional knowledge and gaining insights from four female scientists at the early career crossroads. Plus, we'll discuss the 2.4 Meller funding received by science centers to promote STEM education and the gaps in Europe's AI Act that researchers can help fill. This coverage and more up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. In the world of science, we often see a divide between Western methodologies and indigenous knowledge. However, one researcher at the University of British Columbia is bridging that gap in her work on invasive species. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this?
1: Absolutely, Diego. This researcher, a Lakapamuks woman of mixed ancestry, had an existential crisis while working for an agency managing invasive plant species. She realized that eradication efforts were futile without a holistic land management plan. This led her to connect her Western scientific training with her indigenous worldview.
0: That's quite a shift in perspective. How does this new approach work in practice?
1: Well, instead of focusing solely on eradicating invasive species, she now involves a diverse team of experts including archaeologists, elders, soil scientists, plant scientists, and historical ecologists. They ask questions like, what do culturally important local plant species need to flourish, rather than, how do we get rid of this invasive plant?
0: That's a fascinating approach. Can you give us an example of how this has been applied?
1: Sure, Diego. A great example is the Cowichan Estuary Restoration Project on Vancouver Island. Initially, the project was about restoring the estuary by removing dikes. However, when camas, a culturally significant plant, bloomed throughout the estuary, it was realized that this area had been an important food source for the local indigenous peoples. This led to a rethinking of the restoration project.
0: So, it's not just about restoring the land to a previous state, but also about understanding and respecting its historical and cultural significance.
1: Exactly, Diego. Now, community-based researchers, elders, and knowledge keepers are informing the next steps of the project. They're using a combination of remote sensing technologies and oral histories to shape the land according to community values and needs. It's a unique blend of traditional knowledge and modern technology.
0: A compelling example of how different perspectives can enrich scientific research and lead to more holistic solutions. Thanks for sharing, Charlotte. Now, speaking of enriching perspectives, each year, the Lindau Nobel Laureate meeting in Germany brings together early career researchers from around the globe. At the 2023 meeting, four female researchers shared their career hopes and challenges. Charlotte, can you elaborate on the common themes that emerged from their discussions?
1: Certainly, Diego. These researchers highlighted several key issues they face. The first is career uncertainty, particularly due to the precarious nature of funding and short term contracts. This is especially challenging for those trying to balance career progression with major life events, such as starting a family or buying a home. Ifrah Abdullahi, a research fellow at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia, spoke about the difficulties of finding a mentor who aligns with her values and expertise, especially as a woman of color.
0: It seems like mentorship is a significant issue. What other challenges did these researchers mention?
1: Well. Piper Rodding, a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, highlighted the importance of mental health. She mentioned the high rates of anxiety and depression among graduate students in science, which she attributes to the cutthroat culture and lack of job security in academia. Cottrell Tamasar, a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Newcastle, Australia, discussed the leaky pipeline phenomenon where there are more Ph.D. graduates than academic jobs. She emphasized the need for academia to broaden its definition of success and prepare students for careers outside of academia.
0: And what about the fourth researcher, Prakriti Gupta? What were her insights?
1: Prakriti Gupta, a pediatric critical care specialist in India, is grappling with the decision of whether to pursue a career as a clinician or a basic scientist. She loves the instant gratification of clinical work, but also recognizes the need for basic research to improve patient care. She's considering training in the United States, where interdisciplinary training is valued, but this would mean leaving her home country.
0: It's clear that these early career researchers are navigating complex challenges. Thanks for sharing their stories, Charlotte. On a related note, North Carolina is making strides to support the next generation of researchers by awarding $2.4 million to 53 science centers across the state through its Science Museum's grant program. Charlotte. Can you tell us more about this initiative and what it means for the state?
1: Absolutely, Diego. This is the sixth year of the grant program, and it's designed to enhance science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education opportunities, particularly in low-resource communities. The State Department of Natural and Cultural Resources Secretary, D. Reed Wilson, has emphasized the importance of science museums and educational centers in sparking curiosity and cultivating the next generation of innovators and problem solvers.
0: So how will these funds be used and who are some of the recipients?
1: The awards, which range from $14,804 to $75,000, will be applied to the 2023-2024 fiscal year budgets of these science centers. Some of the recipients include the Aurora Fossil Museum Foundation and North Carolina Estuarium in Beaufort County, both awarded $60,000 each. The Roanoke-Cashie River Center in Birdie County received the highest award of $75,000. Other recipients include the Bald Head Island Conservancy, the Ocean Isle Museum Foundation, and the Core Sound Waterfowl Museum and Heritage Center, among others.
0: It's great to see such support for science education. Are there plans for more grants in the future?
1: Yes, another round of grant awards is scheduled for the next fiscal year. Those interested in applying can visit the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences website for more information.
0: This is certainly a significant step towards fostering a love for scientific inquiry and cultivating future problem solvers. Thanks for the details, Charlotte. In a similar vein of fostering responsible innovation, the European Commission recently announced its AI Act, aiming to address risks to health, safety, and fundamental rights from the use of artificial intelligence. This act will create new regulatory arrangements across all 27 EU member states and will also establish a new AI office. Charlotte, could you shed some light on the role of this AI office?
1: Absolutely, Diego. The AI office will enforce and supervise rules that apply to AI applications, like ChatGPT, for instance. It's also expected to maintain a strong link with the scientific community, which could allow researchers to help shape what could be one of the world's most comprehensive sets of laws and regulations on AI. However, there are concerns and gaps that need to be addressed before the Act comes into full force, which is expected in about two years.
0: What are some of these concerns that researchers have identified?
1: One major concern is that the Act assumes most AI carries low to no risk, implying that many everyday AI applications won't need to be submitted for regulation. However, there are no reviewable criteria to support these risk classifications. Another concern is that AI developers will often be able to self-assess products deemed high-risk. This raises questions about the need for an independent third-party verification system that can verify raw data when necessary.
0: So, there's a need for transparency and independence in the regulation process.
1: Exactly. Transparency and regulatory independence are crucial. The AI office needs to work closely with the scientific community to address these concerns. The EU has a history of drawing on a diverse range of voices in its lawmaking, including natural and social science, engineering and technology, business and civil society. It's crucial that this approach continues in the regulation of AI.
0: Indeed, it seems like a delicate balance between supporting innovation and protecting citizens. Thanks for your insights, Charlotte. With that, We wrap up our stories for today and look forward to bringing you more updates tomorrow on Current Radio.